It's been almost two decades we've been on this journey to educate, liberate, and help you take action so you may better manage your financial future, achieve peace of mind, and accomplish your life's purpose. This podcast reveals financial tips, strategies, and insights that will help you set your goals and guide you along the way to help you achieve them. This is Managing Your Financial Future, brought to you by the advisors at Lucia Capital Group. I'm your host, Johnny Dean, with our own Rick the Professor Plum, Chief Financial Planning Officer. Surely you can't be serious. Is it another podcast, Professor Plum? (laughs) Of course I'm serious, and don't call me Shirley. All right, there you go. You can tell what we were talking about just before the microphones went on. Uh, Old movies. There was a line that you said. uh, Was it, (laughs) I was born ready? And I said, where did that come from? And you said, it came from some movie. And this is why I figured it out. And it was? Smokey and the Bandit. And, I, and I'm so disappointed in us because we should know every single us. line. <laughs> you should be disappointed yourself. I at least remembered it came from the movie. Well, you, you said it came from a movie, which I knew, but you didn't know it was Smokey <laughs> and the Bandit. So, yes, I'm saying us. I am disappointed in us. So I, I said, that's like forgetting a line from Airplane. Surely you can't be serious. Anyway, surely we <laughs> have stuff to talk about today on uh, managing your financial future. We've, we've been threatening for years to just do a, devote an entire program to, to movie lines and, and quotes and all that stuff. And I still think we should do that at some point. Yeah, it's not <laughs> a heavy happen. dose of Smokey the Bandit, Airplane, Blues Brothers, uh, couple others. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the old ones, even some of the newer ones. Uh, you haven't seen Fargo, but uh, I could do Fargo. I could do uh, the Pulp Fiction, a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, someday we're going to do that. What I am going to talk about, we have a couple of things to talk about. I, I want to throw this out first because we've talked, we talk from time to time. It's timely. So I don't know when people are listening to this podcast, but the um, 10-year treasury note, the yield on the 10 years around <laughs> where, where we sit right now, what is it? 6.6 6 something? Yeah, 0.61-ish. Okay, so whenever you're listening, it's just likely not too far from that. Uh, According to the Treasury Department, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note last closed above 2% on July 31st, 2019, which was a year ago. That Uh was the last time it closed above 2%. Now, every day since July 31st of 2019, the yield has been below 2%, and it's been below 1% every day since March 19th of this year. Now, for some historical significance to this, from 1946 to September 6th, 2011, I don't know how long it is, but it's a long time. (laughs) So from 1946 to to, to 2011, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note never closed below 2%. Never. No. Uh, It's just historically low yields, tough, Tough earnings uh, seasons for money. Well, it is. Is is it ever going to get? This is a rhetorical question, but is it ever going to get back to its quote unquote norm of you know between four and six percent? I mean, that just seems like an incredible, an incredibly high amount to pay. It hasn't uh, been the norm if you're if you're quoting four to six percent for quite some time. No, it's been well over ten years uh, for that. Uh, that do, just a, another quick aside. Do you know how long the ten year Treasury notes have been trading in America? A long time. Not as long as the 30, but yeah. Uh, 230 years since 1790. Yes, yeah. 1790. So it's conceivable that uh, uh, GW could have bought a couple of 10-year treasuries. <laughs> I don't know. I just found that interesting. I found that interesting. The other thing I found interesting is uh, last week we talked on this podcast about spending in retirement. That was our last podcast. 
and how spending in retirement tends to go down. Other than health care, which I think you mentioned, Professor Plum, which can spike yes. the last couple of years, it's really your, the amount of money that you need for income in many cases goes down between age 65. It can go up a little between maybe 65 and 70. And this is just from anecdotal evidence. And then uh, from 70 years, somewhere in the 70s, it starts to decrease all the way up toward the end. And then oftentimes we see a spike for uh, for uh, health care at the end. Yeah, health care at the end. Now, this ca- this question came up from somebody who had asked us a sort of longer question, but I'm going to encapsulate it in one sentence here, which had to do with how much should I have in stocks when I retire? Now, that is something of a loaded question, <laughs> Professor Plum, but it's one well, it we've is. dealt it, with. It comes from a different, the answer comes from a couple different areas. One is how much are you comfortable owning in stocks? And the two is how much can you afford to have in stocks? Uh, and how much you can afford to have in stocks is based on your needs, your goals, your income requirement from the portfolio. On the other side, sometimes uh, I actually, actually was talking to a gentleman earlier today, uh, and they have more pension income than they spend on a monthly basis by about a factor of one and a half times. So what they do with their portfolio, their portfolio is almost excess. And so they have the ability to be aggressive if they wanted to be, or quite conservative if they didn't feel like taking any risk. What is the appropriate mix for them? Because it's not about driving income for them now. They've got more income than they need from their pensions and social. Uh, So the portfolio is there for who knows what. They're they're not even sure. They don't even have kids, so they're not looking to grow up for heirs. And so it's it's a little bit difficult in this situation, but what is it that they can afford to put at risk? So now this portfolio is going to be d- driven by their risk tolerance. Other people don't have that luxury. They need to get an income from the portfolio. And they have to set the portfolio up to create that income. They're going to draw down in the first 5, 10, 15 years should not be in stocks. So what's left over goes in stock. So it's going to be a little bit easier to find out how much money they can afford to put in stock because you cannot expect to have to sell stocks and take an income from it in the short term and sometimes not even in the midterm. So it's all about identifying goals. How much do you need the portfolio to provide for you? And then some of it can potentially be in stocks. And then on the other side, how much can your stomach handle? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a big part of it. Now, it's it's even more it's even more intricate than that. I was going to say complicated, but I suppose complicated is a, is a good word too. We're we're sort of skimming the surface of this because everybody's situation is obviously different. But I've heard general statements, rules of thumb, and the one that we've yeah. heard many many times. I don't know if you want to call it a rule of 100 or 100 minus your age, but let's talk about that for just a second and why it is so wrong to use rules of thumb. Well, specifically that one. That one is completely BS, if you don't mind me saying so. It assumes that every person of a similar age has the exact same goals and risk temperament. So it says, so, it, it says whatever age you are... Start with 100 subtract your age, and then I've heard it said two ways. The resulting number is either the percentage of your portfolio that goes in stocks 
or the resulting number is the percentage of your portfolio that goes in bonds. Either way, it's wrong. Because again, that assumes, let's say I'm 65 years old, that assumes 100 minus 65, 35%. So that says that every 65-year-old, regardless of whether they have income from other sources or not, regardless of whether they're an aggressive or conservative individual, regardless of whether they're a sophisticated investor or a very uh, mild investor, should have 35% in this case in stocks or 35% bonds, whichever way they wanted to run the formula that day. That assumes that everybody's the same. I just told you about somebody who doesn't need any money from their portfolio. Exactly. Um, so they could have more stocks. And then the, uh, the second question comes up, I, I come up with this, who can afford to have more of their portfolio as a percentage in stocks? A 65-year-old or a 95-year-old? The 65-year-old needs to be able to, typically needs to draw an income from that portfolio for maybe 30 years. And they have to be able to have some of that money so they cannot have 100% of their money in stocks and reasonably expect to draw down that income without hiccups, bad years, uh, in the portfolio. Where a 95-year-old doesn't necessarily have 30 years of income to fund. So they can have a larger percent in stocks that could go up or down over the next five or 10 years. Well, but by, by the, the, the rule of 100, that rule of thumb, the 95-year-old should have 5% stocks and 95% bonds, if you prefer. And which is only one of the reasons why that particular rule of 100 or whatever they want to call it is bunk. It's just stupid. Uh, it was made up because uh, portfolios, port, balanced portfolios, are 60, 40, 40, 60, 50, 50. And it was a great way to tell somebody, well, this is why we do it that way. You take 100 minus your age. No, it doesn't work. Again, it does. That presupposes that everybody is the same given a certain age. It is well, not the case. Well, you said at the outset that the, to determine the amount of stock that somebody should have, each individual needs to state what their goals are for the money and how much income they may need to take from that portfolio, correct? Correct. And so the income, or with, let's change the terminology, the cash distribution okay. is what's going to drive the allocation of the portfolio. And it also gives us a checking, or basically a checkpoint that if you know, I'm 65 years old and the cash flow that I'm trying to take from the portfolio requires I put 95% of my money in midterm accounts with very little in stocks, maybe that's too aggressive of a goal unless I just don't have a very good life expectancy. Um, and that, that could happen too. I hate to say that, but it could happen. Sure. Um, so it does drive, and the amount of stock that you put in a portfolio is a byproduct. It's not the driving force. It's the leftover force to after you've created the cash flow distribution needs for the first 10, 15 years. Well, sure. And, and it shows with that example you gave, of a, a real-life example of somebody that you know, uh, that you've talked to, where they said, look, we've got 100% of our income needs covered right now. These we've are got 150% of our income <laughs> needs covered. Well, yeah. So this amount of money that's in our portfolio, can we can roll the dice if we feel like it, or we can go completely conservative. Then it becomes a matter of, of temperament. But you can see, as you said, this is why everybody's situation is different. Very much so. And the idea is you never want to be put in a position where you have to sell something that is potentially down and stocks can be potentially down on any given day. They can be potentially up on any given day. Uh, but you never want to be put in a position to, that we have to sell a security to create the cash flow that you either need or want. 
Yeah. So that tells us we need to have a certain time horizon. Yeah, and, and we talk about this because of something that sounds a little complicated, and I suppose can be, but we can simplify it. And it has to do with what's known as sequence of returns risk. Now, put simply, it's, I, I suppose, what happens if you retire at the wrong time? Meaning that I've got... Nobody I've, knows I've, when the wrong time is. Well, that's it. I've got... I, I needed a... Making up an example, I needed a million dollars in my portfolio to, to give me the income that I need, uh, and, and I hit a million dollars, and so I retired January 1st, 2020, and uh, you know by March uh, 31st, uh, that million is now... It was worth, I don't know, 700000 Again, I'm making these numbers up, but... Then they say, well, gee, this isn't my million. Uh, I guess I retired at the wrong time. Explain, if we can, just quickly what sequence of returns risk is and why you need to watch out for it. Well, it has a lot to do with what happens in the early years, the first five to 10 years of your retirement, uh, with the return on your portfolio, the overall return. So if you retire in the first five to 10 years of your retirement, your portfolio returns are mostly, if not all, positive, like we saw in, in the 80s, mostly in the 90s. It's going to potentially be fine. However, if you retired at the end of the 90s and you had a balanced portfolio that had you know, maybe 60% stocks or a growth portfolio and you were trying to withdraw money from it, that, that early sequence where the first three years were negative and then just as we were climbing out of it in 2007, we hit another downturn. Those down years, which at you know, 1999, nobody was predicting you know, that kind of an issue, um, that can have a devastating effect on your overall portfolio to where you would either have to dramatically change your distribution uh, numbers, reduce the income that you're living off of, or risk completely actually running out of money in your portfolio, which would then really dramatically reduce your distributions because there wouldn't be anything to distribute. Yeah. And it's all a matter of what happens in the first five to 10 years. But nobody can tell you what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years with any amount of certainty. So you have to have a strategic asset portfolio that is bigger than predicting the short-term five to 10-year uh, returns of the markets. Yeah, one that at least aims to protect you from a negative sequence of returns. Now, we used to do this thing where we would show somebody who retired, I think it was in 1969, and they needed. Yep. They had $100,000 of... Uh, they had $100,000, and they were going to take 5% a year out with no inflation adjustment. They would take 5000 5000 a year, regardless of, of what the balance right. was. But they, they took 5000 and they did a 50-50 uh, stock bond mix, reallocated or rebalanced every year, uh, using the S&P and the, I think it was the Barclays uh, index for bonds. Um, and what happened was if they, the person that retired in 1969, because there were three or four bad years in the first 10, by the time they got out 20 years, so they retired at 65, they're now 85, they've been taking $5,000 a year out, no inflation adjustment. The $100,000 starting portfolio was now worth nothing. Yep. I think it was maybe $2,000 left. Um, so it was basically empty. However, on the other side, if you took the same exact strategy, somebody retiring in 1979. Instead of later, 1969, but they did exactly the same thing. They just retired 10 years later. They had $100,000 and they wanted $5,000 a year from their portfolio. 
by the time 20 years had gone by, their portfolio was worth like four or $500,000 because not only were they earning more than they were taking out, they were earning a lot more than they were taking out and did not have a single down year for quite a while. Now, the interesting issue was if they continued doing that from age you know, for 85 to 95, just taking the $5,000 out from that portfolio for the next 10 years, which is a very small distribution at this point. Now it's only a couple percent, one to 2%. The portfolio didn't grow very much, but it didn't grow very much for the next decade. That would be the lost decade. The yeah, 2000 to 2000 through 2009. Yeah. Yeah. So it has a lot to do with the sequence of returns. When you are withdrawing money from your portfolio, whether you're withdrawing interest, dividends, you know, or capital gains, or, or you know, have to sell things to do it. When you are withdrawing a, a specific dollar amount, and people budgets require a specific dollar amount, or at least you want to have a specific dollar amount, uh, if your portfolio that you're drawing from has negative returns from time to time, especially in the early years, it can have a dramatic effect on the future viability of that income stream and the portfolio as a whole at times. Yep, we like to use a buckets type strategy. Now, what that would do, it would potentially protect you on the downside, but it would also, Professor Plum, uh, cap somewhat. I don't know if that's the right word, but it could put a limitation on how much you would earn if you just went a a, a complete system uh, systematic withdrawal. Correct? Right. If you were to do a straight systematic withdrawal, and the port and the and the markets are just heaven for the next thirty years, we haven't had that yet. <laughs> um, and what I found that when I was playing with the numbers and doing buckets and doing very simplified uh, analysis of these things was, yes, even through the, that person that retired in 1979, if they had done something more on a bucket style strategy uh, where they gave themselves 10 years, basically they took the 100,000, put half of it in cash for the first 10 years, took 5,000 a year out that would, like, that would last 10 years and then invested in every 10 years they did the same thing. Yeah, their portfolio was not as big when they were 95. But it wasn't that dramatically different. It was only 18 to 20% overall less than rather than the person that retired in 1969, you know, running out of money, doing an unbalanced approach or ending up with at least what they started with 30 years from now. Yeah, psychologically, what we found is that people would prefer to lose less than make more. If you can make more, fine, wonderful, that's great. That's more true with people in retirement than, say, somebody in their 20s and 30s. The people in their 20s and 30s, A, they have the time, B, they have the aggressive stature. So they're, they're worried about missing out on return, whereas the retiree is about missing out on income or on cash flow and you know, having to change their retirement style. You never want to be put in a position where the portfolio dictates that you have to take a pay cut. Uh, yes. Because well, the portfolio went down. And that's what a lot of you know, you know people will look at. They'll say, well... My portfolio was down 15% last year, so this year I'll just take 15% less money out so that it's still a 4%, 3%, 5% distribution, whatever it was. I don't want that from my portfolio. I want, If I'm going to retire, I want to know what my income is, and I don't want to have to arbitrarily drop it because the market is down. Yeah, it's it's amazing as I've been doing these, we've been doing these podcasts, and even going back to our bucket strategy investing show and Boomer's Brainchild, all that going way, way back. We have used that same phrase so many times, which is you never want to be in a position where you have to sell stocks or equities for income or a volatile position when they're down. And that's what we aim to avoid. Very much so. So you need some cash on the sidelines. And, you know, uh, people talk, I was was 
talking to a group of people and one gentleman said, well, if I have four years worth of money in cash, four years of my needs in cash, is that enough? I'm like, well, what if the market doesn't recover in four years? The average down market is 18 months. We haven't seen that lately, but that's the average. It goes down for about 18 months, then it starts to recover. So 18, two years worth of income only gets you to the bottom. It hasn't gotten you back. So you're still selling on the downside. So you need to have enough money or income from other sources to be able to provide for not only the downturn, but the recovery back to at least where you were plus a little bit more. So usually you're going to have to have more than four or five years. How much? That's the big debate. But are we going to go into one of those 10-year time horizons? I can't say. I wish I knew. No. I don't know that. So in many cases, you plan for the worst, you pray for the best, and you live your life and enjoy it. And don't worry about it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the essence of planning right there. We can't predict, but we can plan for the future and uh, hope, that it, uh, hope that it works out. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, the, the, the final word on how much, because the initial question was, how much should I have in stocks when I, reti- when I retire? Professor Plum, does it go back to the famous two-word answer that we've used many times? <laughs> it depends. Right. On your individual it depends on your situation. Goal. It depends on your risk tolerance. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And, and, and that's why we go over this stuff, and that's what, what you do all the time, and that's what we do for you. If you need the brain trust, you want to talk to Professor Rick Plum or any of the Lucia Capital Group advisors. That we're talking about this because this is what, this is what the, the advisors do every day. They talk about this stuff, they strategize, and they have the goal of uh, helping you to get through retirement, and that's what we do. 800-644-1150. I want to mention that number. If you want to give the folks at Lucia Capital Group a call, you can talk about this stuff, what your goals are, what is your potential sequence of returns risk. I mean, we don't know where the markets are going to go. Are you prepared in case the day after you retire or the month or six months or a year after you retire for a downturn in the market? And if you're not, we think you probably should be. You can also find us online, luciacap.com, L-U-C-I-A, luciacap.com. Dot com, and uh, it might be worth it to just go over and see what uh, what you have in store, what what may be in store for you. All right, as I said, we're out of time. Professor Plum, I thank you very much. I think it's almost lunchtime for you, is it not? Thank you, sir. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, I'll get. I'll, I'll let you get back to your protein bar or whatever that was. You didn't bring us any steak that your son-in-law made over the weekend, so we're going to have to go by. We'll have to get by oh, with protein bars. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks for thinking of us yeah. as always, huh? sure thing now i appreciate that all right Uh, for professor rick plum i thank you all for listening i'm johnny dean this has been managing your financial future the podcast we'll talk to you again next time the information provided should not be considered specific tax legal or investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances to the extent that this material concerns tax matters it is not intended or written to be used and cannot be used by a taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding penalties that may be imposed by law Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. Different types of investments and or investment strategies involve varying levels of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment or investment strategy, including the investments purchased and or investment strategies devised by Lucia Capital Group, will be either suitable or profitable for a client's or prospective client's portfolio. Thus, investments may result in a loss of principal. Accordingly, no client or prospective client should assume that the presentation, or any component thereof, serves as the receipt of or a substitute for personalized advice from Lucia Capital Group or from any other investment professional. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material was gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. 
These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based upon publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. Examples cited are hypothetical, are for illustrative purposes only, are not guaranteed, and subject to potential federal and state law amendments. There is no guarantee that you will achieve the results discussed or illustrated. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government but are subject to inflation risk. S&P 500 Index is an unmanaged index and includes a representative sample of large-cap U.S. companies in leading industries. An investment may not be made directly in an index. It is important to keep in mind that investments in fixed income products are subject to liquidity or market risk, interest rate risk, bonds ordinarily decline in price when interest rates rise and rise in price when interest rates fall, financial or credit risk, inflation or purchasing power risk, and special tax liabilities. Interest may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government but are subject to inflation risk. Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond. The index measures the performance of investment-grade U.S. dollar-denominated fixed-rate taxable bond market, including treasuries, government-related and corporate securities, MBS, agency fixed-rate and hybrid arm pass-throughs, ABS, and CMBS. It rolls up into other Barclays flagship indices, such as the Multi-Currency Global Aggregate Index and the U.S. Universal Index, which includes high-yield and emerging markets debt. The information provided is based on current laws, which are subject to change at any time. Lucia Capital Group is not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency. Social Security rules can be complex. For more information about Social Security benefits, visit the SSA website at ssa.gov or call 800-772-1213 to speak with an SSA representative. The investment professionals are registered representatives with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, and member FINRA SIPC. Lucia Securities, LLC, was acquired by LPL Financial August 20. 2020. The investment professionals of Lucia Securities, LLC, are now affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Lucia Capital.